This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. This reading comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, page 816 in your pew Bibles. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Hear the word of the Lord. It's my very great pleasure to uh, welcome to the pulpit for the first time in his role as Assistant Minister, uh, Reverend Dr Tim Escott, who we welcomed uh, on Thursday night at the great service that we had. And so, uh, Tim, come and preach to us. Just wait until I'm done. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with you all. Uh, we've really enjoyed a wonderful warm welcome from many of you, and we're really thankful for that. So my wife, Naomi, who, oh, she's not quite back yet, but she'll be back in a minute. And uh, yeah, we're really happy to be part of the family here. Well, as we look at God's word together, let's pray. Our Father, your word is living and active. And so we pray this morning that you, will, that you will pierce our hearts and minds, that you will challenge our conscience, and you will comfort us with your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we flew in from, uh, from Durham, the north of England, into Sydney just over two weeks ago, and almost immediately I rediscovered the chaos of Sydney traffic and one of the things that I loved about living in Durham is that it's pretty small. You know, we lived in a house that was about half an hour walk from the centre of town, but over our back fence was a sheep paddock. The sheep got in a few times, ate our flowers, but you know it was worth it. It was worth for the peace and calm that we could enjoy. And so moving back from that quiet north of England town into the gridlock and fast pace of Sydney hasn't exactly been peaceful. But Sydney does have its own kind of peace, doesn't it? You know, as I've settled back in here uh, and come to Darling Point, met many of you, met people in the community overlooking the beautiful harbour, there's a certain kind of peace and calm and order here. But, you know, Sydney, even when you look, you can look past that peace and you don't have to look far below the surface to find stress fractures in that tranquility. And especially as God's people, we might expect things to be a little bit more peaceful for us, 
more calm and ordered. And the experience for so many of us under the surface of the calm is chaos. Chaos. The unknown. And a loss of control. And the fear that can go along with that. Personally, for each of us, there are so many unknown outside forces that influence our lives. The government, the market, my boss. Well, not my boss. <laughs> the he- my health. The decisions of the courts. The decisions and actions of my family and my friends. All of them have the potential to chaotically turn our lives upside down. And not to mention the uncontrollable, chaotic forces that can be inside us. Our thoughts, feelings, desires that can sometimes seem out of control. And as a country, we're witnessing right now the devastating effects of the chaotic unpredictability of the climate in drought and bushfires. $2 billion designated for drought relief, remote indigenous communities completely out of water, communities devastated, homes lost. But perhaps most unsettling is the chaos that swirls around us as God's people, the church. You know, as Christianity continues to lose its influence, what does the future hold for Christians? As we lose our privileges in the West, it can be scary to think about how Christians might be persecuted like they have been in the past, not to mention further afield as Christians are persecuted all over the world in terrible ways, and it looks like things are out of control. And so we ask, will the chaos of the world overcome us? As individuals, as a nation, as God's people. Well, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at a bit of the Gospel of Mark in chapters four, at the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5. And in Mark's Gospel, Jesus bursts onto the scene. And he's introduced as the king of God's kingdom. He comes to bring about the kingdom of God, God's reigning presence for his people, bringing God's peace, goodness, and life for the world. But as he does that, his kingdom faces opposition, powers that revolt and press back against him. And so we're going to look at three stories that explore that struggle between the kingdom and the powers of chaos, evil, death, and fear. And so we start today with this story of Jesus stilling the storm. And as we look at it, we can get some insight into the difference that Jesus makes in the face of chaos, of the unknown, and of a lack of control that we experience and see around us. So it would be great if you, could, if you don't have them to open them up, but if you do have them, keep them open to Mark chapter 4. End of Mark chapter 4 as we listen to God's word together. Now Jesus has just been teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God beside the Sea of Galilee. And then in verse 35, evening comes, he and his disciples set out to cross to the other side of the sea. But without warning, a huge windstorm arises. 
Now, the Sea of Galilee normally looks pretty peaceful, and from any edge you can look over and see the other side and the hills surrounding the lake. The water can be beautiful and glassy smooth, but when the winds rise, they can race into the the basin valley and rapidly whip, whip up storms. And so this sailing boat is being beaten with these high winds pummeled by rising waves, and the boat is filling up fast. It's a terrifying experience. High seas are terrifying and life-threatening. I grew up near Cronulla Beach, and in high school I was able to do surfing for sport. We went, caught the bus up to North Cronulla Beach, went surfing, and one afternoon we arrived and the swell was huge. So, you know, arrogant, proud 15-year-old me and my mate decided we'd just head out anyway. And, of course, once the waves rolled in, I was dumped, I lost my board, my rope snapped, and I was stuck out there between the breakers being pulled further and further out. I dive under one massive wave, get tumbled around like in a tumble dryer, pop my head up to grab half a breath, and then the next wave would come, dive under again. And under those huge pounding waves, completely out of control, I really thought I was going to die. I won't tell you whether I did or not, but I'll keep you in suspense. But the sea is chaotic, powerful, and terrifying. But when we look again at what's happening here in this story, things look even more serious because it wasn't just about the wind and the waves. Because for ancient Israelites and Jews, the sea represented what is chaotic and disordered and frightening. From creation, when God formed and ordered the creation, he caused it to emerge from the primal, formless sea. To the Exodus, Israel's escape through the sea was an escape from the forces of evil that were arrayed against God and his people. And the sea was what brought terror and dread against those forces. To Jonah, the storm in Jonah was sent by the Lord in judgment of Jonah's disobedience. And in Daniel, the monsters that rise up against, the peop- against God and his people, they come from the sea. And so Jesus' disciples are facing something of that frightening and chaotic world that aligns itself against God and his people. And so they run to their teacher. And where do they find him? Like a lazy, unconcerned sailor on a summer boating trip, he's asleep. And so they yell at him, verse 38, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? These disciples, these seasoned, experienced fishermen are terrified, afraid for their very lives in the face of this violent storm. But Jesus, their teacher, and supposed king of God's kingdom, doesn't even care, folding his hands to rest. And, you know, I think in this we find ourselves back at where I started because this storm can represent everything that we as God's people, as humanity, face that is chaotic, unknown and out of control. And like the disciples, we can be filled with unease and even terror at the chaos in the world, among God's people and in our lives. And this experience of chaos and fear that we experience are expressions 
of a deeper spiritual chaos that lives just below the surface. The chaos of the powers that align themselves against God, his kingdom and his people. The spiritual powers that lie behind corrupt and evil government, that lie behind dysfunctional relationships and natural disaster. The spiritual powers that threaten to make us afraid and turn away from our God. And what makes it all so much worse is that sometimes it feels like God is asleep at the stern. While we madly try to put things in order, it can seem like we almost make no progress. We try to bring justice, to maintain religious freedom, to reorder broken families and marriages, to evangelise a dying world. But against the headwinds and battering waves of sin, injustice, violence, secularism, sometimes we're paddling madly in one direction, but we're just getting blown backwards. And so we cry with the disciples, don't you care that we're perishing? Well, look at how Jesus responds in verse 39. He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. The disciples were terrified, doubtful that Jesus even cared. But now here is the king of the kingdom silencing the wind and the waves with a word. In Jesus, God's reigning presence and sovereign power drops into the sea as an immovable break wall and neutralizes the terrifying waves of chaos that threaten the lives of the disciples. In the face of the chaos and fear that we experience, Jesus gives us peace. And there are two ways I think we can think about this peace. The first and most fundamental way is that Jesus definitively overcomes the spiritual chaos that lies behind the chaos that we experience. You know, we often speak about Jesus' death as forgiveness and as securing forgiveness, and it absolutely did. But his death was also a victory, a victory over the evil forces that are arrayed against him and humanity. And so beginning with the cross and being finished when he returns, Jesus has defeated and will finally defeat the chaotic evil forces that lie behind the chaos in our lives and the chaos that seems to threaten the kingdom of God. And this means that although we still experience the storms that are the death throes of these powers, we can be confident that no matter what happens, God's kingdom His reigning presence for his people will always stand firm. Regardless of what chaotic powers swirl around the church, what chaotic powers we see in the government, that we see around each of ourselves in our work, our family, personal life, Jesus has and he will finally defeat them and bring peace. As God's people, will the chaos of the world that stands against God and his people overcome us? Will we perish? 
The answer is no, never. Jesus does care that we are perishing and he has done something about it. And the second way of thinking about this peace is that Jesus alters our experience of chaos and fear now. Although it sometimes doesn't feel like it, he does answer our prayers for peace, just like Jesus answered his disciples' frightened cry. He turns governments on their head, overthrows the powers who oppress his people. By grace, transforms our lives and relationships from conflict to peace. And he teaches us how to live and experience peace, to live at peace with God, confessing our sin, experiencing forgiveness and adoption as beloved children, to live at peace with each other as we, united by God's Spirit, living like Christ, avoid quarrels and anger and pursue forgiveness and peace. He teaches us how to live at peace with our circumstances, casting our anxieties on God in prayer, who gives us the tranquility that comes from knowing that Jesus has conquered the world. In the face of the chaos and fear that we experience, Jesus gives us peace. Now as I finish, I want to consider how we really take hold of all this peace that Jesus offers. As we read the Gospels, a good way of working out how we should respond to Jesus is to look at how the people around him respond to him. Look at how his disciples do and look at how the crowds do. Now look with me at, how, at, at what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 40. Jesus says to his disciples, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And it's that simple. Jesus calls his disciples not to be afraid but just to trust him, to have faith. And so he calls you today, don't be afraid, trust me. And you can respond in three possible ways to his call, three ways that the disciples have before them. And the first is to continue to live in fear. Like the disciples halfway through the story, you can continue to despair, continue to yell yell out to God, don't you care if I perish? Is this how you live now, feeling anxious and fearful about your life and the future? It's easy to do. You know, it's how our world without hope lives. And so we just imbibe this same emotional baseline, afraid of political instability, afraid of losing control of your relationships, of your finances, afraid of what might happen to your reputation if you speak about your faith. Jesus isn't being harsh to his disciples here. It's just a gentle rebuke. Why are you afraid? You don't need to fear. Trust him instead. The second possible response is how the disciples respond right at the end. Look at verse 41. And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. They're filled with awe, or better, fear, at Jesus' power as the king of God's kingdom. They're moved from being afraid of their chaotic circumstances to being afraid of Jesus. 
which is on the right track, but it's not quite the same as faith. And perhaps this is how you live now, kind of halfway there, like lots of other people who saw Jesus, you're impressed by him. Like a celebrity, he's the kind of guy that's worth knowing, worth being around, worth being associated with. The problem with this is that often Jesus isn't a guy who's worth knowing or being associated with. In the Gospel of Mark, it ends with Jesus brutally and shamefully dead and buried, his followers scattered. And being a Christian often looks like that too. You know, what happens if the church loses all the respect and privilege that it still has? How will you respond then? Besides, Jesus doesn't perform this miracle just to impress us with his power. He does it to show his disciples and us what it means to trust him. And so that's, this is the third possible way to respond to Jesus and the right way, the way he calls us to, to take up his invitation and have faith. Remember that faith isn't just about believing but about trusting and trusting our whole lives to him, even in the fear of chaos, of the unknown in your life, the fear of losing control. So will you stand up confident in the crucified power of our Lord over chaos? Will you stare into the face of the wind and the waves that will continue to buffet your life, trusting that his way does bring peace now and trusting that his words will bring definitive peace and calm when he utters his final peace? Be still. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.